Well, last week we talked about um, uh, Satan, the demonic. It's not everybody's favorite topic always. But when you look at, at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts, you find out there's all this activity, the spiritual activity, and this demonic realm and satanic activity. And somehow we have thought in the United States of America that maybe they don't, they don't have passports to get in, so they can't do anything here, which is exactly what the devil loves. He operates best in darkness. He operates best when he can fly under the radar and everybody can say, oh, we're too smart and sophisticated to believe that there's a devil and that there are demons. He loves that. If he can't get you on that one, he tries to make you think that he's bigger than life, which he isn't. He, he, I always, when I think of the devil, I think of that uh, show, probably no one's ever seen this before, but have you ever seen the movie uh, Wizard of Oz? Yeah, I think every, if you were a kid, you saw it 15 times growing up. And I always remember when little Toto pulls the curtain away and there's that guy making all the big sounds and he goes, uh, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain because the man behind the curtain didn't anything like what he's trying to portray himself to be. And that's why I think about with the devil. Is he the real deal? Sure. Are, are we more than the real deal in Jesus? Yes, we are. And so we want to know that. So I want you to learn this stuff, put it into practice in your life because it's actually life-changing for you and for those around you. And so we're going to talk today about victorious over Satan's schemes. Victorious over Satan's schemes. So we need some biblical insight. I just kind of like that little uh, graphic even. He likes to sneak you in, you know, and, and pull the rope and, and catch you. But what we're going to be is we're going to be too smart for that. Because the Bible says we can be. But it's through biblical knowledge and information and education that we can not let the devil outwit us. So last week we looked at 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. So just quickly reminder, it says Satan has devices, tricks, schemes. You notice it's plural. It's not just one. He has a few. And he tries to use them to outwit us, or other translations say to gain an advantage over us. So he says in order for that not to happen, we're not ignorant or uneducated of his devices because as soon as we're educated and we're no longer ignorant, we see what he's up to. We go, okay. I see your hand all over that. I see what you're up to there. I'm not falling for that. And so we get educated. And then we saw that the, our enemy, the devil, that he roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to, to stalk and, and catch and eat his prey. And our strategy for overcoming that is to be alert, to be sober-minded, clear thinking, to get the word of God in us. And so we're supposed to keep our eyes open. Now, I like to ride a motorcycle. I've ridden in 49 of the 50 states. We haven't added any states lately, have we? We still have 50, 49 of the 50 states. If you're on a motorcycle, and this is good even if you're not, if you drive, uh, pay attention, okay? But when you're on a motorcycle, your life depends upon paying attention. So I like to see every chipmunk over there. I can like spot a chipmunk, you know, 20 yards off the road hiding in the grass because everything is, is a potential hazard. We need to think about that like the devil. Hey, I got my eyes wide open. I'm scanning. I'll catch him in that, that brush trying to sneak up on me. And we want to be too tough for him to eat. And two counter defenses are two counter defenses are one, biblical education. So we know what the Bible says and how he works by being educated. And the second is being alert, keeping our eyes open at all times, being forever alert. So here's a little commercial for Sunday school class. Um, Larry is on a little break and sabbatical. He taught for years and is a wonderful Bible teacher. If you sit under some wonderful Bible teaching, you will grow. 
you will learn, you will develop. Now, right now, we have a, a Bible class going on in the Founders Chapel Cafe every Sunday morning, except this morning, every Sunday morning at 9, and I would encourage you to be there. Now, we don't have kids' church, so I get that there may be a situation where you can't because you got, you know, a baby and two toddlers, and you can't do that without some child care, but a lot of people could, and so I just encourage you to fill that place up, start learning the Word. They're following the life of Jesus in the book of Matthew, and that, I'm telling you, pay attention to this. You will learn how God works by following him around in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You will get a theology. You'll get a Bible degree about how the kingdom of God works by watching the king. You'll find out what he likes, what he doesn't like, how he behaves, what he does. You'll get this whole different idea about how the kingdom works. Now, show up. That's just what I'm saying. Plus, I want to encourage you, have a Bible study time of your own. It doesn't have to be two hours a day, but something that gets you in the Word, gets you thinking, gets you learning and growing in Bible information and knowledge. So the Word of God will give you information to combat the devil. Now, I want you to remember this. Your attitude towards the devil and demons are very important. Please listen. They are not superiors for you to fear. They are not superiors for you to acquiesce to or yield to. They're not entities that you have to respect. I want to be very respectful of the devil. Not, you don't need to be respectful of the devil. You, you, he is a defeated foe. Demons are not your spiritual equal. They're not your sparring partner. The, the devil loves, it's weird how people think this, that God and Satan are just like opposing forces. They're so equal. And they're having this wrestling match that neither one can quite win. That is, that, that's a doctrine of demons. Because I can tell you right now, Jesus soundly defeated the devil. 100%, absolutely, 100% defeated him. That's what the Bible says. They're not sparring partners. Satan is defeated. Jesus is victorious. We are victorious because of him. So don't. Don't get scared of the devil. I don't know if this story is true, but it's always impressed me, and I, I like it, even if it's not true. I love the imagery it gives. Supposedly, this, this plumber-turned-preacher, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, uh, who had a powerful ministry many years ago, he's gone on to be with the Lord, supposedly he was lying in bed one night, and he woke up to a very strong evil presence in the room. Very strong evil presence in the room. And he sensed that. And he opened up his eyes. The story goes, supposed to be true. Don't know if it is or not. I wasn't there. He looked over and saw a manifestation of Satan himself. And so he wakes up, looks over, sees the devil, and says, oh, it's just you. And rolls over and goes back to sleep. And I thought, that's the perfect way to handle that. It's just you, rolls back over, and goes to sleep. See, we have authority that has been delegated to us. You say, what do you mean by that? King Jesus has all authority. King Jesus said, I give authority to you. So he's placed authority in us, and we rule and reign not because we're wonderful or because we did everything right today or because we felt the Holy Spirit or anything like that, but we rule and reign because of Jesus. When we became Christians, and when I, I mean real deal believers, not just somebody said a prayer 30 years ago and never thought about it again, but your life's really been transformed and you're growing in Christ. If you're a real deal believer, you've been given this authority by Jesus. 
So it's been delegated to you, and you have it, because Jesus is the King of kings, he is the Lord of lords, and he has passed that authority upon us. You say, well, I think maybe once I really get, you know, older in the Lord, then I'll have that authority. No, you got it. If, if you, somebody just gave their heart to the Lord in our prayer time, they have that authority. R- right then, just like that. You say, well, I don't know. Okay, think about this. Somebody's gone through police school, and they are going to be sworn in as police officers. When they're sworn in as a police officer, at that moment, the delegated authority of the legal system has been placed upon them. That moment. No one tells them in the, in the office, hey, don't really do any police stuff until you've been at this for about 10 years. No, they'll go out and do police stuff that day. Now, will they learn? Will they grow? Will they make mistakes? Sure they will. But so did the people who have been there 10 or 15 years. And, but that moment, the moment they're sworn in, they have been given authority. That, the moment we get saved, we've been given authority. Someone wants to see that out of Scripture, Ephesians 1, 19 through 21. Paul is writing to the Ephesians, a wonderful church, some believers, and he's stressing, if we read earlier in this chapter, he would say, man, there's, I really want the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. I really want you to get this, he says. I want you to know this. He starts listing, I think there's three things specifically he wants these people to know. We're going to pick up on the third one. He says, I want you to deeply know this, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That means there's nothing that compares to it. That's what the word incomparably means. Nothing compares to the power that's a work for those of us who what? believe, who are believers. That power, just in case you guys wonder what kind of power that is, that power is the same as his mighty strength which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. See that? In the heavenly realms. Hold on to that thought. In the heavenly realms. He seated him at his right hand, the Father did, in the heavenly realms far above. I've noticed this in reading the Bible. God just doesn't do it a little bit. He does it to extreme. It would be enough for me if it said Jesus was raised above. But he says he was raised far above. Far above. All rule. All authority. All power. All dominion. He is raised far above every name that could be invoked or called upon. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So we look at this and we say, you know, great for Jesus. He's been raised up. He's got all this power. He has all this authority. Nothing can touch him. He's far above it all. But what about us? Well, what about us is in the next chapter, Ephesians chapter 2. Talking to these Ephesian Christians, he says, and God raised us up with Christ. Isn't that amazing? You say, well, I've already forgot. Where's he at? Well, far above. Far above all power, dominion, rule, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms. That's the, he's telling us, you're right where Jesus is. So when we look at Jesus and say, oh man, I get it that nothing could touch him. He's far above, but you know, I'm just a lowly believer. You're not a lowly believer. Man, Peter said this, there's something amazing going on in us believers. He said, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a people who belong to God. He's cast a vision for this is who we are in Christ. 
at who we are is we are far above all rule, power, and authority because we're seated with Jesus. We're seated with him. Now, does that mean that we're super spectacular? Didn't say that you're seated far above because you had a really good behavior day yesterday. I mean, you really behaved yourself yesterday. Should you have behaved yourself yesterday? Yes, you should have. I'm not against that. But that the basis of, of my authority isn't in that. Well, I've been a seasoned Christian, or I've done this or done that. No, it's, it's in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. So it's all about him in us, him in us. There's this partnership that God wants to have with us. And so he says crazy stuff like this. You can do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask, think, or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Hmm, interesting. Okay, well, the devil's not going to tell you that. I'll promise you that right now. That's why we got to learn the word of God. So here's a critical issue, though, in dealing with the demonic. In Acts chapter 19, 13 through 16, it says some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Okay, that's a great line. Jesus has a name above every name. Apparently, I don't know this for sure, but somewhere along the line they saw this or heard this and Maybe since they were doing deliverance ministry, they thought, well, let's check out Paul, see how he does it. We hear he's pretty successful. So they go over and they look at Paul, watch him cast out some demons. They say, oh, he always says in the name of Jesus. Let's add that to our, you know, our playlist here as we go do uh, deliverance ministry. So these seven sons of Siva, who was a Jewish chief priest, they were the ones doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. Now, remember, here's what they said. They came to somebody demon-possessed, and they said, in the name of Jesus. You know, when you cast out demons, it seems like you have to say it like that, don't you? In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Uh, because we think there's more power if we say it like that, which I like saying it like that, but nonetheless, the power is in Jesus. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. And it says, one day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about. Paul I've heard of. Jesus I know. Paul I've heard of. Apparently the demonic world will communicate, hey, there's one guy giving us problems, his name's Paul. And so they'd heard about Paul. Jesus I know and Paul I know. But who are you? What were they saying? You have no authority. You have no authority to use that name. You have no authority to act in, in that name. And it says, Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them and gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So apparently, if you just want to go one-on-one -on -one with a demon-possessed person without Jesus, uh, seven men couldn't handle one of them. There was a demoniac that couldn't be held together by chains. He would break them. But when you have the name of Jesus, you have authority. And they don't argue with that. So the moral of this story is, you need to be in a relationship with Jesus to operate in this power. You don't need to be depending upon somebody else's relationship with Jesus or the way they pray, but you need to have a relationship with Jesus. And the minute, the minute you have that, 
You have the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and Jesus in your life to have authority over the demonic. It comes from him. So make sure you're not riding on granddad's relationship with Jesus or grandma's or your cousins or your kids or your neighbors or anybody else's. You're riding on your own relationship with Jesus and that you know him and have a walk with him. I just want to say it one more time. I know I, I beat this drum a lot, but it's so critical because when I talk to people about Jesus, everybody loves Jesus. Everybody's going to heaven. Everybody, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And then you find out that they did say a prayer in vacation Bible school when they were six, and they're now 46, and they've never lived for him, loved him, prayed. Well, they pray when they have a need, of course. They never really have any kind of evidence that there's a relationship if we would have shared our vows on whenever it was i'll remember when when our anniversary comes uh and and just never talked again never hung out you would be saying there's not really really real evidence that they have any kind of a relationship so we should have a relationship with jesus and i know it's ever growing but it should exist now let's look at overcoming uh demonic issues in our own lives. Now you may say, well, as a believer, I don't think I can have any demonic issues. Well, first of all, I want you to know this. You, I, I truly believe you cannot be possessed by a demon, but you can be tormented. If you follow the apostle Paul around, he got tormented by people who had demonic influences and, and a messenger of Satan was sent to torment him. So you can have problems that you need to deal with and take authority over as a believer. And so Let's look at how to do that. This really works. This really works. Can you believe it? The Bible really works. In James chapter 4, 7 through 10, we quote the second half of verse 7 a lot, but we forget the first half of verse 7. So James 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves then to God. You know, what's submit mean? It means yield. I'm yours. I, I'm yours. You, if you say this is good, I believe it's good. If you say that's bad, I believe that's bad. If you say I should do this or not do this, I believe that. And again, I know we're all work in process, but we, are, we should be in process and be growing. So submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will what? He will flee from you. He will flee from you. Then he says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Then he gets down to business. Wash your hands, you sinners. And by the way, there's imagery here. It doesn't really mean just go wash your hands. He's talking about clean, a, a type of cleansing. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then he really ends that little paragraph with what he started submit or humble yourselves before the lord and he will lift you up now you look at this you go i i thought the joy of the lord was my strength and i thought righteousness peace and joy was ours in the holy spirit and, and here he's saying get rid of the joy grieve mourn well what what's he talking about he's talking about the seriousness of rejecting sin he's talking about this is no laughing matter when we deal with sin this is no joke about dealing with sin. It's time to set aside your celebration for a moment. Look at what's going on in your life and say, you know what? This needs to be dealt with. 
we're not playing about this. We're not going to make little jokes about it. We're going to do some business with God. And you're going to get serious in your walk with God. And that could go, maybe today you're not a believer at all. You don't know Jesus as your Savior. Well, I want you to know, it's, it's not time to play around with that. It's not time to make a joke about it. It's not time to, you know, laugh about it. It's time to get serious about it and well grieve, mourn, and come to know Jesus. And for those of us who are believers and we're working through things and growing in our life, we need to get serious about doing that. So we're to resist sin. And one of the keys to resisting sin is submitting to God. Submitting to God. Now, it's in all of us. All of us have a little bit. Even born-again people, we have a little bit of this. We want to do what we want to do. You know my little phrase. We want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, where we want to do it, with whom we want to do it. And we don't want anybody to tell us that we shouldn't. But when we come into relationship with God, we're actually saying, you have permission to tell me I shouldn't. You have permission to tell me stop this or start that. And the beautiful thing is the whole motivation of God is that you might live life to the fullest. That's his whole motivation. See, what's so pure about God is he has no ulterior motive. You don't have anything he has to have that he's trying to trick you into getting away from you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's the purest motivation. That, that's why God often shows himself as a father because when you have a good father and a good mother, when you have good parents, and, and I am honestly, I mean, I'm sorry if you did not have that uh, because the, the illustration falls apart, but you can, you're smart enough to know what I'm saying. When you have a good father or a good mother, they do things sacrificially for you with no expectation of return, which is really wise because you probably ain't going to get it back, okay? I just want you to know that. So you, they're giving. And, and my children, if I give them something, let's say they're in a pension, I give them some money, they're not worried that I'm going to charge them 36% interest on that money. They know that there's a purity and God the Father has a purity. Jesus has a purity. There's nothing he's trying to steal from us. If he wanted something and didn't have it, he'd just make it. You know, he wouldn't steal it from you. He'd just make it. And so as we submit to him, it produces more life. I've never been disappointed in the Lord. Never been disappointed. He is faithful. When we submit to God to resist the devil, what happens? He flees from us. Now, I'm going to give you the bad news. The bad news is he doesn't stay gone. Jesus was in the wilderness. Satan comes to tempt him. He thinks this is a pretty good time. Because I want to remind you, the devil is wily. He is, uh, has no compassion. He will take advantage of you in your weak moment. So here's somebody who hasn't been eating, drinking for 40 days. By the way, most it takes a supernatural fast because you will die. Uh, most people would doing that. And so I'm, I'm very opposed to people who say, I'm going on a 40-day fast. I say, well, yeah, yeah don't, don't do that. So that's not healthy, and it's not even required or told to do in the Bible. But Jesus is on a supernatural fast, and he's, the devil shows up, and he hasn't eaten. What's the first? I think the first temptation is, why don't you turn this bread, these stones into bread? That dirty dog, he, he's going to appeal to his flesh, you know, and so you know the story, and Jesus refutes all of it. And uh, by the way, this is why you need to know the Bible. That's what my point, but it's a good point, so I want you to get this. Jesus starts using the word of God to combat the devil. 
the devil says, that's pretty good. So he uses the word of God. He says, why don't you throw yourself off of this uh, pinnacle? Because if you did, the Bible says, guess what? The devil knows the Bible. The Bible says that he will lift you up so you'll not even so much as stub your toe on a stone. And he begins to quote the scripture. But then Jesus says what? And it is also written. There's this whole counsel of God, and he wants to pervert the word. He said, you'll not tempt the Lord your God. And then the Bible says that Satan left him for a more opportune time. He's going to wait for another critical opportunity to come and try to take advantage of Jesus. You can find that in Luke chapter 4, that whole interchange there in Luke chapter 4. So it's very helpful for a personal battle against the enemy to understand the word of God, to practice submitting to God, and practice resisting the devil, and he will flee. And when he comes back, you just do it again. You say, well, I felt like I got attacked at morning, I got attacked at noon, I got attacked at night. He probably did. So you just submit to God, resist the devil, and he flees. And there's a, some essential reading, which we're not in going to do today, but for those of you who like to take notes, jot this down. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. It says, Our fight's not against flesh and blood, not against people, but against principalities, powers, rulers of wickedness in the heavenly realms. There's always this heavenly realm stuff going on in the heavenly realms. And then God gives us the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, you know, all that sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, wherewith you will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, the shield of faith. And I would really encourage you to read that, ponder that, think through that, it will take you a whole two, three minutes to do that. Ephesians 6, 11 through 18. But how can we help others? In fact, you may be saying, I have no problems, but I'm surrounded by a bunch of kooks. So I need to make sure that I can figure out how to deal with all the, the demons in their lives. Well, you probably got some pestering you too, uh, but here's how we do it. In Luke 11, Jesus has cast out a demon. And it's so funny. I think some of his biggest problems were with the religious leaders. They were losing their influence, and people were wanting to hear Jesus more than wanted to hear them, and boy, they did not like that. And so there's this, this, this jealousy. And so they said, well, yeah, he cast out demons, but he does it by the prince of demons. That's how he does it. He does it by Beelzebub, by Satan. And Jesus said, okay, time out. That's stupid. He said, that's, that's illogical. That, that doesn't even make sense. If Satan's going to cast out Satan, that's a really bad battle strategy. And any kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. He said, I cast out demons by the finger of God. And then he goes on and gives us a little insight. You ever read something, just wish Jesus would have gave you like five chapters on it instead of like five verses, but he gives us this little insight and we get this little peek into it. And so here in in Luke 11, Jesus, they've had this conversation. He's saying this, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid or dry or waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it, this demon, this impure spirit says, I will return to the house I left. Now, just so you know this, the house that left is a person. And so they go back to the house that left. And when this impure spirit arrives, it finds the house swept clean. Now, Matthew 12, 44, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mike, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, often 
tell the same stories in them. And in Matthew 12, the same story is going on. And it says this demon finds the house unoccupied. Unoccupied. So it's swept clean. It's unoccupied. It's put in order. Then the spirit goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. In other words, it would have been better off for that demon not to be cast out of that person. If they're not going to serve Jesus, they'll only end up in a worse situation. So, we need to be careful how we deal with the demonic. And generally, when you preach on dealing with the demonic, it's not like every one of you, I can't wait to get out here and go cast some demons out of some people. So, you know, it's usually that's not the, the thrill to it. But we should be equipped and enabled to do so. So what do we do for our friends and family who need help? Well, first of all, we've got to acknowledge it's a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers, or weakness in the heavenly realms. So you probably know some folks that are being plagued by the devil. They're getting plagued by the devil on a daily basis, and the more they rebel and the more they go into sin, the worse they get. You've seen that before? I think this is just me. This is not thus saith the Lord or Bible, but knowing that there's this network of demonic activity, it wouldn't shock me that they would say, hey, here's a willing vessel. Come on over. Let's, let's party. There was a legion of demons in the one guy, a legion of them. So apparently they were inviting others over to this willing vessel. And they just get worse and worse. So we need to educate ourselves. So what are we going to do? We're going to do the word. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. If the good news or the gospel, the good news about Jesus we preach, is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God, notice it's little g, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So who's the source of this blindness? The devil is. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They aren't able to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You say, well, what, what are we going to do with that? We're going to pray in that direction. So we know this. The word says it's not God's will that any should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. So we know we're praying in God's will when we pray about people seeing the light of the glorious gospel. And so we're going to pray for their eyes to be open, for Satan to not be able to veil it, to not be able to hide the gospel, and that the glorious gospel is going to penetrate into their minds and into their hearts. And we're going to pray that Satan backs off from hiding the gospel. That's where we need to pray. Now, here's why we need to pray that. Because just to take care of the demonic and then let them end up worse than they were, is a bad plan. But if we can pray so they can see the light of the glorious gospel or receive Jesus, guess who takes up resident in their home? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside them. So when that demon comes wandering back, which he probably will, he, go, he finds it clean and swept, but he finds it occupied. And it's my belief that Jesus has no intention of sharing that house, that temple, that body, with the devil. So it's occupied and there's no, the, Jesus gets to say, we own this house. 
and so you're not welcome here. And so that's where our prayers are going to go. And surely you know someone who is tormented or troubled, and the bottom line is they need the light of the glorious gospel. Jesus is a life changer. And so we, get, we, get, we begin to pray in that direction. So this is kind of our week's action truth to apply. And we're going to look at why would this work, though? Why, why would praying for people to see the light of the glorious gospel, why would, the, why would that even work? Well, here's why. One, because we are people of authority. I want you to know, you as a believer are a person of authority. No need to have haughty authority because we already read we're to humble ourselves before God. But his great powers at work for those of us who believe, Ephesians 1.19. The second thing is that our prayers are powerful and effective. James, the brother of Jesus, writes these words in James 5.16. I like the way the NIV says it. It says, the prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure you're in there with me. I have prayed many times where I did not feel like my prayers were powerful or effective. I didn't feel anything, and, and I'm, I like to feel something. But most of the time when I pray, I don't feel something. So I feel like, man, but you'll have those couple occasions in your life where you pray it. You just sense the presence of power of God. And so now you want that every time. And I don't blame you. So do I. But most of the time, that's not there. And so I put up a little thing on my bulletin board in my office just to remind me of this. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. I didn't feel it. Doesn't matter. I don't live by feelings. I live by faith. Why well, I, didn't, I didn't sense the, the... Now, I wasn't raised Pentecostal, so I say Holy Spirit. But I'll tell you, if you want to really get going, you say, I didn't feel the Holy Ghost, you know? And so, if, oh man, I felt the Holy Ghost. Okay. Well, whether you felt the Holy Ghost or not, God's word says this, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Now, Satan will whisper in your ear, yeah, that's a good Bible verse, but you ain't righteous. You know how you behaved yesterday. You know the fight you got into driving to church today. You know how you walked in smiling, you know, all happy and everything. And, and you're not righteous. See, I'm righteous. And again, I know I'd beat this drum. I'm not condoning wrong behavior. I'm just saying the righteousness does not exist because my behavior is so perfect. Now, I know y'all ain't never done this, but you might get in the fight like with your spouse. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but, but pretend like this is the edge of the bed. You lay right here, okay? And the other one lays over here. And because you don't even want to accidentally touch each other, you know, because you're mad. Well, the next day, do you have the power and righteousness of God in you? Yeah, yeah. Should you deal with that problem? Yeah, you need to deal with that problem. Now, you say, well, you and Darlene never had that problem. I don't remember having that problem, but I do know this. We were in an argument one time, which I was obviously in the right. And we were, we were driving down the road. We were heading to Indianapolis. We were arguing about something. Who even knows? That, that, think about that. If you think of the arguments you're in, most of you will never remember what it was even about. That's how important it was. You don't even know what it was about. So we're driving down the road. And so I look over, and the sun's getting ready to set. And I said, we need to settle this real fast. She said, why is that? I said, because the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath or anger. And so 
that's a good thing to practice and resolve that. But that's not what makes us righteous. What makes us righteous is Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. So when I go to pray, I have to lay all that junk theology aside that, well, well you did something wrong yesterday, or you didn't do this right, or you didn't pray enough. Who ever prays enough? I mean, really, when, when do you ever say, like, I am, like, prayed up? You didn't read the Bible enough. You didn't do this enough. There's all kinds of, I didn't do enough. Oh, what I, what I do have enough of is the righteousness of Jesus. So therefore, my prayers are powerful and effective. The next thing is when we do this, the reason this works is we're fulfilling the work of Jesus. And we're called to do the works he did. That's very clear in Scripture. Read John 14, 15, and 16. The Holy Spirit comes so we can be enabled to do what Jesus did. Not only those things, but greater things and even more things because the Holy Spirit comes alongside to help us and empower us. So 1 John 3, 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Now, I know I get, I'm a teacher, so I can't hardly just pass by things because I believe somebody's going to say, I've sinned. I'm, I must be of the devil. Well, then all of us would be of the devil. What this is talking about is there are some people who say, I don't have any desire to do what God wants me to do. I don't have any desire to serve God. I'm going to serve sin, my flesh, the world, and whatever I want to do. Those people are living a lifestyle of sin, and they're of the devil. Now, do believers struggle against sin? According to Hebrews, we do. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. Do we get tempted? Apparently, the Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way, just like we are. So do Christians at times sin? Sure. Does that define who we are? It does not. The righteousness of Jesus defines us. So just because you sin doesn't mean you're of the devil. It's where your lifestyle is going. And no one likes to hear that, but it's the truth. If you're here today and, and you are not loving Jesus and you're living a lifestyle of sin and that's just the way you want to live and you don't have any desire to live for God, then, then I want to say there's only one other person to live for, and that's the devil. Because the devil's been sinning from the beginning. And then here's the anchor verse. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. Why will this prayer work? Because it's what Jesus came to do, to destroy the works of the devil. And we are his agents on planet Earth, and so we need to keep destroying the works of the devil. And I mean this. This is so infuriating to the devil and demons. Because in their mind, I mean, read the screw tape letters, and I think that's true. We're like these vile vermin. What does God even see in these people? And all of a sudden, we people are filled with the presence and power of Jesus, and we can go do wonderful things in his name, and it totally frustrates the enemy. So we need to do the work of destroying the devil's work. Jesus accomplished it, and we need to keep pushing it. The devil's work is to blind minds, is to blind hearts, is to hide people from the gospel, and we are simply joining Jesus in that ministry, saying, hey, we are praying, we are praying that the veil be lifted, and the light of the glorious gospel shines through. And the people will say, you know what? The way I'm living produces death. And the way Jesus tells me to live produces life. And we destroy the works of the devil. So, let's get at it. Start praying this week. Start following this little action guide in our own lives personally and in those around us. If you don't know somebody who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, then, wow, 
you need to expand your your horizons. So you need to get out of the house, okay? Because there's people out there who don't know the Lord, and we need to be praying for them. And let the Word of God and what we've learned today just permeate, saturate, and infiltrate our hearts and just pour out into the world around us. And let's join Jesus in the glorious ministry of destroying the works of the devil. And then right with that will be another ministry Jesus said he had. He said, I've come to destroy the works of the devil, but I've also come that you might have a life and have it to its fullest measure, have it overflowing, have it abundantly, 